Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we are back for another edition of the Starting 502 Podcast. As always, my name is Chris Amaya, your host of the most, and back with me for the first time in a long time, we have Nick DeConnor. Nick, we don't lose when we do a podcast after the game, and that's saying a lot because we've only played 12 games and lost four of them, so um, I'm pretty sure we'll was like 6-0 when you and I do a podcast together after the game. So perhaps we should keep that going. I don't know. Like I just, I just had this just quiet confidence the entire game. Louisville was trailing the entire game, never led by more than five points with eight seconds left. I just had this confidence. Uh, Nick, how are we doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. I mean, the stat is zero and two on Friday night games. That one of us is not on the pod. Just stop playing on Friday at non-con. That's There's the your first answer. I mean, that's Furman and uh, DePaul both for Friday night games. <laughs> um, but yeah, first time back on the mic together. Since November twenty sixth, holy cow! How about that? Wow. How about it's that? A it's been a, it's been a wild time yeah. around here. Granted, in these parts, granted, but Louisville basketball's first game uh, in eleven days. Um, so this is true. This is the, true. It was uh, December December eighteenth was their last game against Western Kentucky. Did not fare super well. I was not on that post game, uh, but you guys held down the fort nicely. Um, but no, uh, Louisville. Victorious seventy three to sixty nine over Wake Forest tonight. I, I don't know if, if you caught the the final line on this game, but that last free throw by Mason Faulkner might have uh, might have struck some people the wrong way. Uh, I think the line was was five points. I think Louisville, Louisville was a five point favorite going into the game. Got it up to five. I think betters were extremely happy. It inexplicably fouled with like six seconds left. Then got fouled and put the ball in their hands at the free throw line again. And only made one of the free throws. That's just, that's almost like I, a, a, a bad beat from Scott Van Pelt. Oh, I will say this. I mean, it was an absolute bad beat. He split both pairs of free throws to end the game there. And 
I mean, with TV Teddy on the call, you know, somebody had some, some money on that. So whether he was a part of getting that situation to happen, I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of things down the stretch there. Uh, the shot clock being reset incorrectly, um, mm-hmm. the officiating in the second half in general, um, when you have Ted Valentine on the call and Chris Mack on the sideline, you're in for a, a primetime showing. To my knowledge, the only D1 basketball coach who openly has beef with the ref and talks about it in press conferences. I'd I'd love to see what the win-loss record is against <laughs> TV Teddy, to be qu- completely honest with you. Well, let me ask you. So I was pretty close to the court. I didn't think that was TV Teddy. In, in the game notes, it's listed as Lee Cassell, or C- Castle Cassell, Mike Roberts, and Tim Comer. Comer. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at ref's names, apparently. But uh, no TV Teddy listed as an official for this game. Now, there was a guy that looked like TV Teddy, but I'm not sure it was. I, I might have to backtrack on that one, but I was sitting pretty close. It didn't look like it was TV Teddy. I saw a lot of people tweeting about it. I saw, I don't know if Chris Mack actually mentioned him by name in the post game or, or what was going on, but. Um, as far as the officiating, I, I don't know if you saw on TV, and we'll, we'll get more in, into the, the game itself, but uh, Chris Mack was extremely upset for the last two minutes of the first half. I'm not sure exactly what he was trying to point out, uh, but it didn't appear like it was he was mad at the team. It, it, he was mad. Some, something went, went awry. I don't know if somebody's called for, for a foul on the wrong player. I'm not really sure what, what, what happened there. Uh, I, I know there was a play um, where Malik Williams was called for – no, I'm sorry. It was – Maybe it was, I don't, I, I don't even know. There, 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 was a, there was an interesting play where it seemed like the complete wrong players were called for fouls, so maybe that was what it was. Um, but there was a lot going on between Chris Mack and the officials to the point of, I think there was like five seconds left in the, in, in the first half, and he had an official pulled over to the side of uh, Forbes at midcourt, kind of like, what the hell's going on? Why are we not playing basketball? There was just a lot going on. And then all the officials and Chris Mack and Forbes all met at, mid- met at midcourt. And then the officials all convened at the scores table after that. So something went down. I don't know if they talked about it on TV at all, uh, but there was a lot going on there at the end of the first half. And then to start the second half, obviously, and this really dictated the way that the game was played in the second half, uh, everything was a foul to start the second half. And I noticed that you tweeted something about this that it seemed like the, the, the game was called completely differently in the second half. So something went down, something happened. Chris Mack was very displeased about what went down, but uh, I don't know if you have any, any comments on that. So my, Mike Roberts appears to have been actually on the call after doing some quick image searching and fact checking. I think that Mike Roberts is in the game notes. So we'll go with Mike Roberts. Okay. My apologies. TV Teddy tendencies. We'll just say that. Um, and the way Mac was talking to him, again, my apologies, on, on the wrong end of the broadcast, watching with the volume down, to be honest with you, dog running around, all those things. Mac was talking to him like TV Teddy, so I was convinced pretty quickly there. <laughs> uh, but like, like you said, the officiating in the first half was really not non-existent. It wasn't that much of a factor. It didn't seem like the the speed of the game was being you know influenced by the officiating. It was really sloppy. I mean, first few minutes, teams got up and down, shot well, and then both teams just went ice cold. But in the second half, I mean, if you breathed wrong, it was a foul. I, I know there was one that jumps out, Matt Cross, who only played in the second half, and we can talk about that here in a second. But he, he like, just stepped to the left on the perimeter on a guy on defense, and that was considered a foul, um, but got mugged on the other end, and that wasn't a foul. So it, my thing has always been this. I don't care if you call 50 fouls. Just call it for 40 minutes that way. Like, why? I've never understood that the letting them play in the first half, but we're going to tighten it up in the second. I just don't understand that. That's not consistent officiating. 
it doesn't make any sense to me because because what it says is late in the game you can just drive at a guy and get a foul call like like what is that doing to protect the game it's all about speeding up the game right this continuation there were a couple there was at least one glaring wake forest continuation tonight that absolutely should not have been an and one the freedom of movement stuff they they've really emphasized this year if we're supposed to be you know increasing the speed of the game making it more enjoyable this ain't it it's absolutely not and it felt like so I'll, I'll get into kind of my the reason why I missed the first 10 minutes of this game. Uh, I'm notoriously early to every basketball game. I'm the guy that's five minutes late to everything, and I'll be 15 minutes early to every basketball game. Regardless, I uh, went to uh, the wonderful uh, seafood lady in New Lou tonight. And I don't know if you know about seafood lady, but it's it, it even it's one of those places they say on their menu, right? Like. Good food takes time. It says something like that on the front of their menu, like in big, bold letters. And I showed up an hour after my brother and some buddies. And this was like right at six o'clock. And we did not receive our food until 6.55. And yeah, it was it was a lot. I mean, it was great. Excellent dinner. I have no complaints about seafood lady. Nice gals serving there. Everything was great. Um, but yeah, by the time I got to a parking spot, uh, got into the arena and everything, um, it was, I think it was 17 to 16, uh, Louisville and 10 minutes into the game. So to your point, everything happened very quickly. Not a lot of fouls to start off the game, pretty even back and forth. Uh, no team had more than like a two or three point lead. Seemed like they were playing with a good pace and then both teams went ice cold, but again, not a lot of foul issues in the first half. Uh, then there's a little spat with Chris back and the officials. And for the next eight minutes of, of game time uh, from the start of the, the second half until the under 12 timeout, uh, there were eight fouls called on Lake Forest and seven fouls called on Louisville. Uh, that's a lot of fouls considering there's no technicals. There weren't a lot of block charge calls, anything like that. Uh, just a lot of ticky tacky, just weird, just unusual foul calls. Uh, 15, 15 foul calls in, in eight minutes is just almost unheard of. Uh, so that kind of really mucked up the game a lot. Uh, Louisville went to the free throw line 34 times tonight, and I believe they were at like 28 uh, before Wake Forest had to start intentionally fouling towards the end of the game. Um, so very much uh, a game that was dictated by Louisville getting to the lane. But look, we can get into this game. Uh, obviously, normally we'd normally jump right into it, but Getting into the game a little bit, uh, that was a huge part of this game to me, was that it felt like uh, Louisville finally in the second half was assertive and got into the lane. And that's something that we so desperately were asking for. I think the Wake Forest defense was conducive uh, to allowing Louisville to run their offense a little bit better. Uh, I think that they allowed Louisville to space the floor, uh, and they really, they really have an appreciation for what their guards bring to the table. And I mean, you can't blame them. Uh, Wake Forest guards are, are, are massive, especially compared to uh, a Jared West and LLS and Mason Faulkner. Um, and they kind of just let, let their guards just guard one-on-one and Louisville took advantage of that. Uh, Louisville, uh, Jared West very got, got into the lane quite a bit. And uh, we saw a lot of, you know, Wake Forest crashing down on Louisville in the lane when their guards and forwards got into the lane. Uh, but that opened things up from, from the perimeter, that opened drives. And, and obviously, uh, as Chris Mack pointed out in the postgame, there, there is the James Harden way of drawing fouls that probably aren't fouls, kind of like not cheating the game, but like really using the rules to your advantage. 
Uh, and then there's what Louisville did tonight, which was kind of take the game into their hands by being the aggressor. And that's not something you could have said about this team, even against Western Kentucky. Uh, they Louisville was very much the aggressor on offense. They were very assertive. And that's, that's going to be my main takeaway from this game was that they were assertive and they played with a confidence, especially to, to end the game uh, that we hadn't really seen uh, up, up to this point. Yeah, absolutely. I, what you missed in those, those first 10 minutes was a lot of set stuff that we haven't seen Louisville run consistently. And it wasn't, I, I think, I think the hard part with what we've seen so far this year is with all the Ross McMain's talk and all the pace talk and getting the ball up and down the floor talk, we haven't seen a lot of just, you know, old style Mac half court sets. And tonight, what we saw an intention intentionality of at the beginning was getting Malik Williams, the ball high and then working high low. And that's something that we've talked a lot about needing to happen. When Malik Williams is on the block exclusively with his back to the basket, he's going to get you five or six points, but he's in double figures when he works high to low. And he is such a good passer from up, from up there, which is why a lot of teams have, you know, taller guards, guys at the three or the four work from high to low because they can see over the defense. Right. But we saw a lot of early action with Malik high ball screens, Malik making decisions at the top of the key at the free throw line. And it worked really quickly. We saw that with Sam Williamson again. When Sam works from the free throw line down, he is really good offensively. And we saw that again tonight in spurts. I mean, how many times did he come off of a curl, off of a down screen? I mean, he had that massive dunk in the first half. He had a really nice lay-in in the second half. I know he scored at least three or four times off that same set. And what you saw was Louisville just go back to the basics. I, I have a friend who coaches um, high school basketball, and he was texting me you know, about being you know, infuriated and not even being a Louisville fan, watching how inconsistently they have been this year. But he talked about how they just went to a classic horn set there at the end. That's just two high ball screens. And, and team, uh, 80% of the teams in the country run this set at some point. Just two high ball screens. You let a good ball handler go downhill and make a decision. That's what they did with Mason Faulkner late, um, Jared West late as well. And what you saw, again, was creating easy opportunities. And like you said, once Wake Forest was in foul trouble, which they had four guys with four there at the end, several guys with three, just getting downhill, getting to the free throw line and taking advantage. Now, Louisville still, you know, did not bury all of their free throws tonight. This is still a team that that missed nine free throws again tonight. Now, 73% is much better than what they've been shooting on the year, and that's going to need to get better. But they shot 17 of 23 in the second half because they got to the strike, right? And again, I think the thing, listening to listening to the radio pregame tonight, Prez, they, Mac talked a lot with Bob Lovano about creating the right shots and taking the right shots. And he said, I think we've fallen in love with taking early shots, shots that we can get late in the shot clock, because you know we're so focused on pushing the pace, when in reality, we need to get better looks or at least wait to take that shot. And you saw that tonight. You saw intentionality of getting Noah Locke the ball in the right spot. Of you know, of once again late in the game, Noah Locke coming off of a screen, flying into the sideline, buries another three. Right, getting those simple screen action, that simple you know simple curl action for Sam, doing the little things offensively that they haven't done consistently. Right, and you still you still saw some things you didn't like. You know, Jalen Withers hit some threes tonight. Still had some turnovers that were. Well, unnecessary. You saw L. Ellis really playing with pace again, but making some mistakes doing that. 
But when the right guys were in late, they went to the basic horn set. They went to basic high ball screen, work downhill, work toward the free throw line, take advantage of the foul trouble. And that's what you want to see late. They took over this game late at the free throw line, and they didn't let go because of that. And I I love what you brought up about the horn set towards the end of the game because I actually had that in my notes as well. It was frustrating watching from the side uh, how much they were slowing the pace because Wake Forest was almost encouraging Louisville to kind of play at that helter-skelter pace. Um, And and so it was interesting to see Louisville not play into their hands, which they had done in previous games. Uh, So it was really fascinating to watch that it, it appears that Louisville, if, if the team is executing the way that the coaching staff wants them to right now, or at least tonight, uh, in the last eight to ten minutes of the game, uh, they were very intentional about the sets that they were running. Um, and I don't know what, you know, I, I was watching the entire second half to try to figure out how the, the coaches kind of get the plays in, right? Like, I don't know how they're keying the plays in. When you... When we watch Rick Bettino for so long and even into David Padgett, you just learn to know um, when when the play began. Right. Like and it's still kind of hard. Like, I I don't know if they're still thinking through it, uh, if they're not running it as quickly as they'd like to. There's you can still see the players kind of thinking through. Uh, the steps that they're running. There's not really a moment where they initiate the play. So that that's still kind of interesting to see and figure out. Uh, it was frustrating to watch because at, at first, initially, because I, it felt like they were really trying to slow the pace a little bit too much. But in reality, you're right. They were running those horn sets, which spaces the floor nicely. Uh, and it's very just basic stuff that when you execute it correctly and when you have uh, ball handlers like Jared West and Mason Faulkner and you have a shooter like Noah Locke, all of a sudden that uh, really just turns the game on its head. Uh, and so, so I, I, I appreciated that you brought that up because I was thinking yeah. the exact same thing. Uh, there is definitely an, an, an intention to kind of space the floor and, and kind of slow the game down a little bit. Uh, whereas in, in previous games, it was it was definitely more helter skelter. It felt like if Louisville had an open shot early for a shooter for Matt Cross or Noah Noah Locke, uh, then then they took then they took the shot. If it was anybody else, they didn't. And I that's think right. that was the, the, a major difference tonight. And that's why you see Louisville shoot 10 for, for 22 from three because Noah Locke took only seven threes tonight and he made five of them. I think he probably took seven threes and all seven were good looks. Malik Williams took four threes and they were all open looks. Who else? Jalen Withers took five threes. The two threes that he made were open and in rhythm. Like that, that's a major difference. Uh, only taking 22 threes also feels very intentional to me on the heels of them probably the last four or five games averaging 35 three three-point attempts a game. Uh, it just seemed like everything was much more thought through and more methodical uh, than, than it had been in previous games. I think this, I think the more that we watch this, you know, now we're, we're more than a third into the season. This is a more concept-driven offense, and I don't know if we fully understood that. Um, it, it's not a five, six, seven sets that we're going to run a game kind of offense, you know, three screens, you know, big screen for a big, you know, pass it around. Like, it's just not that. And I think you can get frustrated when you see shots not going in and guys not converting at the rim, which again tonight didn't convert at the rim at a rate that you're, you're going to need to to win games this year and get frustrated with the system and say that oh, we need to just run, you know, we need to run some sets we used to run. Like I'm even guilty of like 
if you go back and watch the Jordan Wara sets, we would run to get him open. I mean, it was a series of three or four or five screens to get him, you know, in an open look behind the three. But that's just not what's happening with this offense. And I think that's what Ross McMaines is looking for is more of a percentage offense and more of a making the correct decision offense and less of a, you know, just keep running the same look until we get the, the right action. But I think, you know, like teams like Western Kentucky have said, okay, that's fine. We don't think you'll make the right decision. And they were correct over and over and over. Like you said, the wrong guys were shooting threes and Western was more than willing to take that, you know, that gamble and it worked out in their favor. We've seen that. I think you saw that against DePaul too. Uh, you know, just the willingness to let this Louisville team try to figure it out on offense um, as a defensive team. And I think you saw that, you know, kind of go away tonight, at least in stretches down, you know, there at the end. And I think that's, what's encouraging is again, they weren't running anything insane. They were running high ball screens, getting downhill, attacking a team that was in foul trouble and making the right decision off of that. And, that, and that's what you want to see because this can get really simple and it's as simple as setting screens, making the correct pass and then hitting shots. It, it's that's what basketball is, right? You can do it a variety of different ways, right? You can play like Davidson where, you know, we got backdoor action. We got 14 cutters. We got screen, 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 screen. And, and you can get open looks that way. Cause you don't have the dudes to just go at a team or you can play like Kentucky and Duke where they say our five is better than yours. And we're just going to set high ball screens and attack the rim. And if you defend that, then we'll shoot the ball back outside for a three-point look. I mean, it's really that simple. And I think that's where Ross McMaines and Chris Mack want to be. And I think it's as simple as getting the right five on the floor. And now's the perfect time. Mason Faulkner's the point guard of this team. He needs to be moving forward. He needs to be the starting point guard. I'm not saying Jared West doesn't need minutes because he does. But Mason Faulkner needs 30 minutes a game, and he needs to start right now. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect transition into what I kind of wanted to talk about. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, maybe we'll go to commercial break or something. Get the kids out of the room, all right? Because we have some very vulgar adult stuff to talk about right now. Louisville was 10 for 22 behind the three-point line, and that's the good part, right? Like, that's the, uh, the in the scary movie, you know, when it's, it's a happy family and everything's good. Uh from inside the three-point line, uh, Louisville was nine for twenty-six. Uh, so they made they made less two-point shots tonight than they did three-point shots. Uh, and not only that, they shot below thirty-three percent. I think I'm doing that math in my head real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 not good. That's not going to win you a lot of ACC games. Uh, but what what will win you a lot of ACC games is accepting your identity, figuring out who you are as a team. And I think that uh, out, outside of the aggressiveness, the, the tenacity and, and the, the confidence that that will show tonight, um, I, I think that the three guard lineups that will played uh, were impressive. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, you said Mason Faulkner is the point guard. I agree. And I think that Jared West it's hard to take Jared West off the floor because he's such a good defender. And I'll get into this in just a second about why he's such a good, good defender, but uh, it's hard to take Jared West off the floor. Mason Faulkner, probably the best point guard with, with, with the ball in his hands. And then Noah Locke, if he knows who he is, if he understands his identity uh, and, and he rolls with that, uh, then, then this is a completely different Louisville team. Uh, I, I tweeted this out tonight. May, or excuse me, Noah Locke is absolutely R- Ryan McMahon, and that's what he needs to be. That's the way he needs to see himself as. He is a spot-up shooter, and he tried. like The, the Noah Locke point guard putting the ball on the floor – 
shooting floaters, trying to get to the basket thing, that experiment should be over. Like, if you look at his stat line historically, if you look at what he has always done, he doesn't rebound the ball at a high rate. He's probably the worst rebounder on the team. He doesn't he doesn't play above the rim. Like he's not a you know, he's not gonna go to he's not gonna attack the basket uh like like most guards would at the D one level. Uh he's not an efficient player from the mid range. Uh, what what Noah Locke does is one thing really, really well, and that's shoot the freaking basketball. He does it probably better than than anybody sans Ryan McMahon or Jordan Wara in the Chris Mack era. Uh, and and you know People are going to be frustrated because he shot so well at Florida and he struggled to get into a rhythm. But the reason he hasn't gotten to a rhythm is because he's been playing in a role which he's not compatible with. Like, I'm sorry. I know maybe that's why he came to Louisville, but he can help it's a Louisville team win right now by just being who he is. And that's that's who he that that's who Louisville needs to accept that he is. I think uh, we saw towards the end of the game. Didn't see a lot of Dre Davis. Dre Davis was non-existent tonight. Uh, you didn't see a lot of Samuel Williamson um, until the very end when Matt Cross, you God love him. Uh, clearly, you know, Chris Mack said, look at the box score. You can tell who had COVID. I mean, Matt Cross has the worst case of COVID that, that any level player has had uh, since this whole thing started. I don't know if you saw on TV or anything, but my man was, was crippled. He was doubled over in pain and holding his chest after at every dead ball. Um, when he had that air ball where he felt kind of fell in the corner towards the end of the game, uh, my man did not, he barely even made it back down the floor, uh, and allowed an open three. Uh, so, um, props to Matt Cross for even playing, uh, he didn't even come out to warm up in the second half. Uh, so uh, that, that just goes to show you just, just how hard it's been hitting him. Uh, so that there's your Matt Cross answer, by the way. I know we were, we were talking about that a little bit. I don't know how much it was addressed in the post game, but. Yeah, Cross was was struggling. Uh, it seemed like Sidney Curry was the other guy. Uh, Curry played really well tonight, uh, but he played you know minimal minutes, and he was he just did Sidney Curry things. He just just parked it down in the paint and got rebounds and got to the free throw line. You said you wanted to hear from me one word for each player tonight. Just one word. Just one word. Just one word. All right. Because I I've normally done a sentence or two, but we'll just go mm, one we word. We want right? one word tonight. That's one right. Word. All right. Are we ready? Uh, we got Malik Williams undervalued. Sam Ooh, Williamson, I like that. glue. Dre Davis, underwhelming. Noah Locke, shooter. Jared West, steady. Matt Cross, warrior. Uh Sidney Curry, Zaddy. Uh Mason Faulkner. Uh, best game yet. That's what I went with. Ellis, ill-suited. Roosevelt Willer, negligible. And Jalen Withers, I don't even you know. Jalen Withers, that was a tough one tonight. I, I didn't even put one down for Jalen Withers because I didn't know what to say. He made he made Confusing. two and he had, he snagged some good rebounds. The, what, what, was the, what was the word you had? Confusing. Confusing. That's a, that's a perfect word. That, that's one other thing that we can get into as well. Um, you know, we talked about the three-guard lineups. L. Ellis... The staff doesn't trust him against mm-hmm. against quality guards. That's that was my takeaway tonight, uh, and you saw why. Uh, he the offense was not effective uh, when when L. Ellis was the point guard tonight. Uh, so he was negative three in the plus minus. Only played eleven minutes. Uh, the other guards played. Let's make sure I get this right here. 
Noah Locke played 23 minutes. Let's see here. Jared West played 30 minutes and had the highest plus minus with 10. Mason Faulkner played 23 minutes. Uh, so that's kind of indicative of, of how the staff feels about L. Ellis right now. L. Ellis doesn't bring an, enough on the defensive end to give him more than 10, 10 to 15 minutes against a player like Alondez Alon, Williams, which is kind of the last thing that I wanted to get into as far as just like the ins and outs of the actual game. Uh, so for people who didn't know coming into the game, and I'm sure they harped on this in the broadcast, Alondez Williams is a first-team All-ACC player. If the voting, if the ballots were cast today, he would be probably the ACC player of the year. Um, he granted their strength of schedule, uh, as you and I kind of talked about privately, is absolutely hor- horrendous, which I understand. But let me just run down just the points that he scored in game so far this year. 22-32-10, and 34. Tonight he had 15 and 7 assists and he made it look really easy. And he is a big, he's a massive guard. He's listed as 6'5". I would say he plays like 6'6 six, six or 6'7". Six, he, he basically, he's about the same size as Sam, Sam Williamson uh, when they stand shoulder to shoulder. Um, and three games ago, he had a, he had a pretty smooth triple-double with 16 points, uh, 14 rebounds, and 10 assists. Uh, and the, the, two pr- the two prior games, he just combined for, I don't know, what is that, 70 points, 75 points? Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. No big deal. No big deal. Um, excellent player, but the reason I bring that up as well is because Louisville is not going to see a better guard for the rest of the season. Um, I'm, you, I don't know. You're making a face like like they they might. Um, I, I think there there are a couple of other ACC guards who might have a say in that, but he. I don't think you will, they'll see a better guard for the rest of the season. They will see comparable guards. How about that? Uh, that works. But. Again, Jared West was on Alondez Williams all night. Jared West, the five foot ten, that's probably being generous point guard, that's given up six to seven inches in height, eight to ten inches in wingspan, and probably fifty pounds, uh, held Alondez Williams to four for fourteen from the field, one is six from three point range for a forty percent three point shooter, um, four rebounds, and he did have seven assists. I mean, he's an unbelievable passer. He unbelievable passer. I don't know if you noticed that on, on the broadcast, but he, you can't double him. If Chris Mack said, he'll, he'll find the open player. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Chris Mack said on the pregame that he was the best passer they would play all year. 100%. He is a more athletic David Johnson. He's, I think he's a first round pick. This and dude it, averaged a, a six points a game for Oklahoma last year. Yeah. Yeah. It, it blows my mind. I don't know what, what the falling out was at Oklahoma. Um, but I mean, they changed staffs, so I think that's probably your biggest thing right there. Yeah, I, look, he, he's he's legit. He's a baller. Uh, I've been to every home Louisville home game this season. I've seen some pretty decent players in person. That's by far the best player that I've seen uh, Louisville play this season. Um, it, it, as far as um, going forward, what are your kind of key takeaways from this game? maybe the biggest positive and then what what's something that you that will really really has to improve going into georgia tech on sunday i think the biggest positive is really straightforward they won the game i mean this was a game you absolutely had to win um if you break down the remaining 20 ish games into four game windows you have to win three of four so if you do that math and that math tracks out 
and you win three of four, that's 15 wins. You add 15 to seven, that's 22, right? If the cards go 22 and nine, they will make the NCAA tournament. If they if that falls to two of four, they will not come anywhere close to making the NCAA tournament. It's really that simple. Now, obviously, you can't chop the schedule up like that because obviously Louisville's going to play, you know, like Duke, North Carolina back-to-back and things like that. But that's kind of where you need to look at this. They need to win three of four the rest of the way to be an NCAA tournament team. Wake is a team that I think will fight for a spot in the NCAA tournament. I know they're in in the projections right now. I don't care about projections in December or January. That's just way too early. Um, and they haven't played, you know, they played a Charmin schedule, like you said. But I, you just won the game. And you won it in a way that didn't look pretty. You won it with not a healthy, you know, roster. I mean, as, as much as we talked about, you know, everybody available except Gabe Wisnitzer, obviously, you know, Matt Cross was not even close to 100%. Dude didn't even play in the first half. Um, I don't know if he convinced, you know, Mac at halftime to give him a chance, you know, or like you said, maybe he was getting treatment and that's what got him back in. Um, but the the lineup was all over the place again tonight. Again, you play, you know, 12 guys. Um, I still think that's got to get tighter, but it didn't matter because you won the game. You know, we can get past that because you won the game. If you lose the game tonight, this this has real potential to get downhill really, really quickly. Um, I think I think the biggest thing that has to get fixed is honestly the defense. The last couple of games, the defense really has dropped off. And that's that's something that has been what has kept Louisville in most of the games this year. You look back at the Bahamas, they won both of those games because of defense. Um, you, you look at games even before that, they, they won because of defense. Games that they lost, you know, Furman, DePaul, Western Kentucky were because they didn't play elite defense. And, and they got close tonight. And like you said, Wake has some dudes, right? They absolutely raided the transfer portal. Steve Forbes is looking real good in year two there. He's a real good coach. Obviously, they wouldn't have gone and got him, you know, out of a small school for, for no reason. But looking forward to Georgia Tech, one, you got to bounce back and, and get everybody healthy. And two, you got you to commit to your identity like you talked about. And this team's identity is going to have to be defense first and then simple concepts offensively. And I think, I think the thing I want to see from Mac on Sunday, now the game's been pushed, um, if, you, if you didn't see on the broadcast or on Twitter, game's now pushed to Sunday, um, I think 6 now, 6 o'clock in the evening from Saturday. Georgia Tech's coming off a of pause themselves, hoping that one more day we'll get some more guys eligible, which I'd rather play them at full strength, obviously. Uh, but all that to say, I want to see Mac stick with the hot hand. Whoever's feeling it, let them stay in the game. We got a lot of dudes, but we don't have to play all of them every every night, right? Like you talked about, Dre Davis played 16 minutes tonight. It, that's you know that's not going to be typical numbers for him, but they won the game. And so, can you get everybody to buy into whatever tonight's role is to win the game? That's what we need to do against Georgia Tech. That's what I want to see. Does he stick to the hot hand? Is that Sidney Curry? Is that Rose Wheeler? Is that Dre Davis? I don't care who it is. You know, ride with the hot hand, ride with what's working, and you know, worry about you know making people happy afterwards. Yeah. So now Louisville kind of goes into a new year, uh, finishes out 2021. That's right. We're finished, folks. The year 2021 is over. Uh, not been an ideal year for anyone, and been a really tough year for Louisville sports fans in general. Um, I one thing we didn't get into tonight was just how great the fans were. Uh, it was the most, according to the numbers, the most attended game of the season, um, but definitely the loudest uh, and, and definitely helped with the momentum of this game. I mean, it was a game that Georgia Tech, I, I haven't looked into 
um, you know, the, the time that Georgia Tech had the lead, but it was the majority of the game. 22 minutes. There you go. Georgia Tech led for 22 minutes. Okay, so fairly even, I guess, in, in, in that sense. But um, they had an 11-point lead with 19 minutes left in the, in the second half. Things were looking kind of bleak. Uh, and, and, and the crowd really helped kind of propel a solid run. And I mean, I, I, I was impressed. I was impressed given uh, the, the situation where there's no student students at all. Everybody's gone home for, for uh, Christmas break. Uh, no game in 11 days. And the last game, Louisville just kind of took an embarrassing loss to Western Kentucky uh, and, and had already taken two embarrassing losses at home in the non-conference. So um, moving forward, Georgia Tech, the 2021 ACC champions uh, Louisville heads in there to start 2022 Georgia Tech's coming off a pause. Uh, so this could be a game where Louisville's kind of getting back into their rhythm. Um, hopefully they'll be able to start getting their feet under them. Hopefully we'll get Matt, Matt cross back to 85, 90% for this game. Maybe even give, get Gabe Witznitzer back. So you have a, a full roster heading into this game, but again, another solid Georgia Tech team. I believe they have. I would have to take a, uh, take a look at their their uh, schedule, but I believe they have a couple head scratching losses or close games this season. Uh, but they do br- bring back Michael DeVoe, who is given Louisville fits uh, and who was instrumental in, in that championship run uh, for the ACC championship last se- last season. So, uh, and again, they have a pretty solid squad. Um, so, it'll be interesting to see uh, any road win against an ACC team is going to be awesome. And I think that you could be looking at a, a, a quad two fringe quad one win if you get a road ACC win against Georgia Tech, that team that could very well make the tournament still. Uh, so that will be interesting to watch. Uh, Louisville currently sits atop the ACC after Duke, I believe, took a forfeit. Was that right? Is that how that situation ended up turning out? Uh, they, they ended up just getting rid of the game, to my knowledge. Okay, okay. So... Um, again, Louisville atop the ACC standings with a backloaded schedule. They have to keep racking up the wins. I'm encouraged by what we saw tonight, not necessarily because of the execution, but just simply the will to win down the stretch. Um, so going forward, Nick, any final thoughts uh, before we sign off tonight? I was going to pop us over to some listener questions, but I think we, we may have hit on all of them, I know somebody, I can't find it now, but somebody was asking if, if we thought that, that Mason had had Wake Forest to cover, and that's why he missed that late free throw. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that, an abs- that's an absolute great spin. I love that, that so the, much. Somehow he gets the ball he went, in his hand with a chance. <laughs> he went to the line, and that was the first thing that I thought about. Um, but no, just, just looking over Georgia Tech's schedule, I was able to finally get it to load here. Uh, they have a 10-point victory over Georgia. Uh, they have a four-point loss at home to Wisconsin, who's kind of a fringe top 25 team. Uh, took a took a 17-point L to UNC, took a 16-point L to LSU, similarly to Wake Forest, uh, and just, just got beaten pretty handily uh, at USC uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, so this is a Georgia Tech team that is going to be solid on, under jo- Josh Pastner. They've developed a reputation for being solid. Um, and not not necessarily maybe a sneaky team for fans, but a, a team that that you have to prepare hard for as as a coaching staff. Um, so hoping Louisville gets back to full strength. Um, until then, we will see you on Sunday. Everybody have a great, safe, happy New Year's. Don't drink and drive. Be safe. Be responsible. 
we'll see in 2022. Go Cards. Go Cards beat George Tech. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on Earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide-open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.